If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 732. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N. McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook, the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com. Purchase a number of classes there. You keep this podcast free of charge, and you get great content. I mean, that's the win-win for you. You get this free stuff four days a week, but then you can also get that great content anytime you want it. You can download all the stuff, download all the lectures, download the videos, download any reading material I give you, and it's yours for life, right? So you get a win-win out of the deal, and uh, I mean... I can't tell you how much you're going to love those classes at McClanahan Academy. Christmas is coming up. Get them for yourself or your loved ones. Do it for them, right? Give them the gift of education. You can also get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff by clicking on the shop tab. Those make great gifts. And of course, you can support the show also by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com or the heart under this video, the super thanks button on YouTube, or you can go to anchor.fm and become a subscriber there. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Give it that five-star review, a text review at Apple Podcasts. Let people know you love it. Share it around on social media. Leave a comment on YouTube that helps the algorithm. And send me those show requests, however you want to do that. I do want to know what you want to hear. All right, so wrapping up this week, we've had a week dedicated to the Straussians versus the non-Straussians. We started with Lafayette Lee. We had a piece by Paul Gottfried. They're the anti-Straussians. We've had a piece by Glenn Elmers, which I thought was completely ridiculous. And now we're going to get to Michael Anton. Now, why do I spend so much time on this stuff? I mean, you might be thinking, gosh, I mean, McClanahan, you've done this stuff before. You've, you've talked about Glenn Elmers. You've talked about Michael Anton. You've talked about these things. Well, because these principles matter, right? We can't have real American conservatism if we're going to rely on 19th century liberalism. It's just not, not going to happen. And I think we need to get the principles right. This is where Glenn Elmer said, if you want to join us, you know, we're, we're going to tell you the true thing. Well, that's not correct, right? And you could say, well, McClanahan, aren't you doing the same thing? Look, I'm just telling you, the principles that make American conservatism what it is are federalism, republicanism, and constitutionalism. Lincoln violated the Constitution over and over again. Uh, anyone with a brain can see that. Uh, and even his... Even during his time, not just the Democrats, but also some of his allies pointed this out, right? So, I mean, you, you can't have Lincoln as a shining example of constitutionalism. So there's already a break there. And Lincoln's political discovery that secession was somehow illegal and, of course, his use of the declaration of the Gettysburg Address, which was not new. I think, I mean, Elmers was correct about this. People have been talking about it before. But the fact is, that was a deviation, it was thought, from uh, the real principles and spirit of the Declaration. There's a reason why in Virginia, John Taylor of Caroline 
had a newspaper, it was actually in Washington, D.C., titled The Spirit of 76, and it didn't have anything to do with natural rights. It had everything to do with political decentralization. You see, the principles of 76 were not to the founding generation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. No, no. It was the last paragraph. It was the establishment of independent American states and the resistance to tyranny through the traditions, customs, and precedents that have been established over hundreds of years in the Anglo-American tradition. It's why Patrick Henry, even though he said the revolution was radical in the Virginia Ratifying Convention in 1788, said that what the schemers were trying to do in centralizing power was just as radical as what they did in the revolution, which was break away from a hereditary monarchy. That was the radical part of it. It wasn't radical to be articulating these principles based on the ancient constitutions and inestimable privileges, as Henry called them. The privileges, which of course had been established over the centuries as the rights of Englishmen. That wasn't the problem. right? The problem was we had centralization. We had schemers out there trying to craft something that was alien to the American experiment, which was extreme centralization. Nationalism, which is exactly what Elmers and Anton want. They want nationalism. They want one-size-fits-all government under this mythical founding uh, as ideologues. I mean, under the proposition nation myth, under the Lincolnian myth, this is what they want. Now, they will say, and of course Anton gets into this, what he thinks the, the regime is going to end and then what's going to replace it. And somehow, conservatives bristle at that. I actually agree with him. I think the regime will end at some point. I don't think it's going to be sudden. I said this this week. I think it's going to be gradual. But how do you, how do you reconcile? How do you, how do you cope with this? Well, you have federalism. I think the regime's going to end... I don't necessarily think the United States government, the central authority, is going to end. What's going to happen, I firmly believe, and you're already seeing cracks in it, is people just aren't going to believe it anymore. They're just stop, they're going to stop believing in the power of the center. And they're going to start looking to their states. We're already seeing it. Florida and Ron DeSantis. All these states that resisted the COVID mandates and protected their citizens as a hedge against centralized power, we already saw it. The lefties are finding a new interest in states because of Roe v. Wade and what California can do to protect its citizens from what they see as an out-of-control Supreme Court. That's going to be the end game. It's going to be a return, in fact, to the original principles that made America great, which was federalism, constitutionalism, and republicanism. Not universal democracy. People are turning away from that but local control based on local principles, custom, precedent, tradition. That's it. And it's not some metaphysical natural rights nonsense that's based on ideology. It's not that natural rights aren't important. It's not that you can't say, well, there are, as a Christian, there are things, but the way they weaponize it and politicize it is the problem because the left will run with that, right? So tradition, custom, precedent. These things are important. And of course, it can be based on Christianity. It can be based on natural rights, Christianity in your local community. That would be a good thing. But to have one size fits all, and everyone needs to get on board with this, uh, is 
highly problematic because even, again, even in the founding generation, you didn't have uniformity on these things. As Gottfried pointed out yesterday, you had a lot of Calvinists that believed things that, say, the Baptists didn't believe, or the Catholics didn't believe, or the Anglicans didn't believe. You have Puritans, they're Anglicans, but they're Puritan Anglicans, and they were different from the other from the Southern Anglicans. <laughs> I mean, it, there's there's differences there, right? So no one wanted to live in Puritan New England except Puritans. In fact, people rejected it. They didn't want to be around it. Puritans were hanging Baptists. I mean, is that what we want? Right? Some one-size-fits-all situation where you have to be the orthodox or it doesn't work? I mean, I, I believe in decentralization. I believe communities, political communities, can reflect the culture of those communities. Now, he says something interesting in this essay that I'll address because he says, well, you can't, you can't address it if you're, if you're not Anglo-American, right? So... I'll read a couple of paragraphs. I'm not going to read this whole piece because it's really long. I'm just going to get into one thing, and I've had two long podcasts this week, so I'm going to cut this one down. I've already talked about Anton so many times. But there's just a couple of things here I want to point out in this piece that just don't make any sense. Anton says, My criticism in the speech to which Godfrey objects is that many conservatives say they're for the American founding and its self-evident truths but then attack as potential insurrectionists anyone who points out the possibility that the present corruption of that regime is decaying and may one day end. That regime, they say, is final, immutable, and forever. Its legitimacy cannot be questioned. To criticize it is to be disloyal, even seditious. Now, this is an interesting statement from Anton because essentially they're doing the exact same thing by believing in the Lincoln myth. Your criticism of that would be even disloyal or seditious. There's only one way to think about conservatism. There's only one way to think about the American founding. It's their way. Because it's the only self-evident truth out there. That's it. It's the only thing. Anton says, I think that's obviously wrong. In my criticism of that, this has nothing to do with paleoconservatism. I think it's safe to say that Gottfried and I see the abuses of the present regime in much the same way. We are equally alarmed by them. We think they are immoral and unjust. I mean, look, the Straussians are on the right side of a lot of things when it comes to the culture war and things, but they just can't get out of their way to see what they're doing and what they're advocating would lead to another culture war, right? Because... They're trying to have, again, a one-size-fits-all situation based on a natural rights theory that leads to the proposition nation, which leads to the modern left. They would say it's not. I mean, this is where Elmer says, no, 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 it's Woodrow Wilson. It's, Woodrow, it's Lincoln now. He's, he's not the problem. It's Woodrow Wilson that's the problem. Um, look, Wilson, as a young man, by the way, actually had a very conservative view of the Constitution, and he started looking at it differently but that goes back to someone like Herbert Crowley, who thought that what they needed was a fusion of Jefferson and Hamilton to make this modern progressivism. It was actually based on a historical understanding, using historical figures. Crowley was pretty popular. And uh, Wilson simply pushed that forward. Right? So we have a fusion of Jefferson and Ham Hamilton being the aggressive centralizer, but didn't really believe in democracy or you know the power of the people. Jefferson being someone who believed in democracy, but too much of a decentralist. So you put them together, 
and you get this progressive impulse, which is power of the people, you know, kind of this natural rights thing, the extension of, you know, the proposition nation with an aggressive central authority to make it work. Does that not sound like, in many ways, the Straussians? Of course it does, because it is. I can make a case the Straussians are simply progressives. Just They're not progressives in the way they think of the, the way the term, but they are. The progressives. All right, so tradition as a safeguard. This is the part of the piece that I wanted to get into. Um, and he says, the question then arises, why or on what basis do we think so, that these things are immoral and unjust, right? Godfrey appeals to the traditions of the Anglo-American world. I have nothing against that world. In fact, I would be delighted to live in it once again. But I do have the following reservation. Gottfried, I know because he has written about it, is Jewish. I am 100% descended from Mediterranean immigrants who came to the United States after the Civil War. Neither of us, therefore, is Anglo, and neither is related by blood to any of the men who founded the United States or even were Americans at the time of the founding. It seems to me, then, that neither of us can be, strictly speaking, heirs of the Anglo-American tradition. The question is, why? Why can't you be? The United States is part of the Anglo-American tradition. The legal structure, the way that we think about civil liberties, for example, is based on Anglo-American institutions. So why can you not be part of that? I mean, what's the problem with that? You're saying that uh, there, there's no that tradition can't apply to you because you don't have Anglo-Saxon blood. Well, it's interesting. You know, Blackstone actually pointed out that as soon as you step foot on the shores of England, didn't matter where you were from, the traditions applied to you. This is how you can see today. You have an Indian prime minister, essentially, of Great Britain. Now, the empire. The traditions apply to any people within it. And so you have people from India who are part of the Anglo-American tradition. Are you saying that he is not because he is Indian? Well, I would think that the current Prime Minister of Great Britain would be perplexed by that statement. He's part of the tradition. In fact, the problem that we have is that we don't teach the tradition enough. We rely on natural rights and these metaphysical things and ideology to teach whatever the tradition is. Instead of saying, no, 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 here is the tradition, the Anglo-American tradition, based on the Magna Carta, based on the English Bill of Rights, based on an understanding of liberty, based on decentralization, based on, as Lafayette Lee pointed out, this Whiggish opposition to Tories and centralizers based on the inherited rights, the ancient constitutions, that is the American tradition of liberty and community. Think locally, act locally. The problem is we teach too much of, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Well, what happens with that, Anton? What happens with that, Elmers? I go into a classroom of a bunch of leftists and I say, well, here's the American principle. They would say, oh yeah, that's right. All men are created equal. That means... Uh, equity. That means that I should have everything you have. That means we should all be equal in everything. Well, but wait, wait, wait now. That's not what they meant. Who cares? This is what it says to me. <laughs> right? But if you go in and say, hey, here's the American principle of the union of the states as Jefferson, the governmental principle as Jefferson and Madison said in the Declaration, the union of the states, the foundational union of the states. So here we have the last paragraph. 
We have free and independent states. We have federalism. Ooh, the unknown ideal, federalism. That's what we have. It's how you teach it. And what they're doing is teaching it in a way that's going to open the door to the left. That's how it's always been done. What's different? Nothing. In fact, uh, I I saw and I and I, there was a conversation some of us were having about these essays, and there was a debate on social media with a leftist professor, and I got dragged into it. I didn't respond. I mean, people tag me in conversations, and I get all these you know replies. The leftist professor didn't want me to see her stuff for some reason. I was blocked from seeing it. I'd never even interacted with this person a day in my life. But I guess because I was tagged in it and they, they blocked what I could do. Uh, anyways, so I went out and found it. I just logged out and looked at it and logged back in. She was saying things like, well, certainly, you know, we have this new constitution and this reliance on natural rights after the war. And I mean, this is exactly what, I mean, could, could you say there's any different in that, anything different in that from Michael Anton? You can't. They agree, Right. So this is the problem. Now, he says, and yet we both claim to be American, to possess certain unalienable rights, and to be outraged by the way at the ways uh, the present perversion of the founders' regime treats disfavored American citizens. Why? To possess certain unalienable rights. Or would it be liberties? So this is this overarching thing is that you know, we're American, we have liberties, and of course, you know, Henry would say, give me liberty or give me death, right? He says, I don't think an appeal to tradition cuts it. For one thing, if the Anglo-American tradition confers rights upon us out, upon us outsiders to that tradition, why wouldn't it logically confer the same rights on, on other outsiders? On any and all and, and, and any and all outsiders. Well, if you are in the United States, then it would. If you're a citizen of the United States, this is Anton's logic here is really strange. So basically, he's arguing, well, if we have these traditions, that the Anglo-American tradition confers rights upon us outsiders, but are you an outsider to that tradition? You're not. Are you not here? Were you not born here? Are you not part of the American experiment now? Are you not part of the American empire, whatever you want to call it? You're not part of the Federal Republic? Well, you are, if you're going to use all the different terms. You are part of that. So then, therefore, the Anglo-American tradition applies to you. This is a very strange argument. It doesn't mean that it applies to people in Crete. It doesn't mean it applies to people in Germany. It just applies to you. Yet I am certain that Gottfried and I agree that America has, and has had for some time, far too much immigration, and that immigration should be sharply limited. Okay, but those are two different things, right? If you're here, and you're here legally, and you're in the United States as a citizen, then the Anglo-American tradition applies to you. Just like Blackstone would not say the, the Anglo tradition, the English tradition applies to the French. But as, as soon as a Frenchman comes in and becomes an English citizen, then the Anglo, Anglo tradition applies to that Frenchman. He's now an English citizen. This is not to say it applies to you if you're not a citizen. It doesn't. I mean, this is the weird thing about this. I, I don't get Anton's argument here. It's not even logical. But on what basis can we say that? Do would-be immigrants have a right to come here? I would assume Gottfried would argue, argue with me, agree with me. They do not. Why not? I would say because America is a regime 
constituted by a sovereign people who instituted now maintain their government via a social compact. So this is weird. Again, Anton doesn't really understand the American founding. He doesn't. He fundamentally doesn't get it. America is not a regime. It's a federal republic constituted by a sovereign people of the states who instituted and now maintain their government via social compact. No, that's Rousseauian. That's just completely ridiculous. It's a, it's a constitution between the states so ratifying the same. America is no regime. And by the way, in the founding period, they talked about open immigration all the time. In fact, it was one of the charges in the Declaration. He's prevented people from immigrating here. And the Jeffersonians were certainly fine with people moving into America if they were good people. And so was the founding generation. Look at the Naturalization Act of 1790. As long as you were of the people they wanted, which of course they limited who could do that. But the fact is... They welcome people here, as long as you agreed with the principles, the Anglo-American tradition. They started bristling when the Germans, for example, came in and started trying to change things. The Anglo-American tradition was important. That fundamental structure, it's why Jefferson could say they need to understand this part of the Declaration as part of government. They need to understand federalism. They need to understand these political principles. It's important. He says, Gottfried's ancestors and mine were admitted to that compact by the consent of his existing members. Well, I mean, if California wants to admit people in and they want to become citizens of California, then by default, they would be admitted to the compact. See, this is where states can get involved in all this stuff and they can say, no, we don't want people here. We don't want these people here. We don't want whatever. We don't want people here. We just don't want any people here. We want to have the people we have. Or we can, I mean, look, Americans have picked and choose what people they want in and out all the time throughout the history of the United States. By the way, it's funny, you know, uh, Gottfried is, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Anton is very interested in you know, the Republican Party being those who wanted to restrict immigration first. If you go back and look at those early Republican Party platforms, they are for massive Im immigration. And Wong Kim Ark, which is the first ruling that really talked about birthright citizenship, it's Republican Supreme Court. The Republicans have been just as much part of opening the doors to massive immigration as any other party. He says, I believe that right now it is unwise to admit new members. I would like the sovereign American people, the currently existing members, to limit immigration via the political institutions they ostensibly control. What would Gottfried say? So, again, the sovereign American people, the people of the what? The people of the state. See, Anton's already looking at the structure as a centralized power top-down without federalism. He's missing that one component. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. This is the real problem of Michael Anton and all the Straussians. It's because they operate from a Lincolnian myth of America. Once you go down that path, you cannot really be an American conservative. You are somehow a French conservative. You see, because again... The French based their Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen on natural rights. It's natural rights. And when you say the American Revolution was a natural rights revolution, well, so was the French Revolution. Are they not the same then? 
and France had a unitary state top-down. Is that not what Lincoln essentially did? It was a French Revolution in America. The war in 1861-65 was a French Revolution in America. It really was a, a French-style transformation of the United States. And that's what they're in favor of. And you know what? People had to die. You think about that. The French Revolution, people 30,000 people had to die for the reign of terror. In the Second American Revolution, nearly a million people had to die because of the Republican reign of terror. And conservatives, real conservatives at the time, called it that. This was a disaster. He says, we also would also have to note that both Gottfrieds and my ancestors were allowed to leave their respective homelands to come to the United States. The right of immigration, according to the American founders, is a fundamental natural right, indispensable to the principle and practice of consent. This is not to say that our ancestors, former rulers, let our forebearers leave out of deference to natural right. In fact, many, most rulers throughout history have tried to prevent losing subjects through emigration. The whole doctrine of just soli, not in, incidentally the basis of so-called birthright citizenship, is based on the notion of perpetual subjectship, of obligatory allegiance to a crown that can never be renounced. This doctrine was in fact part of the Anglo-American tradition to which George III appealed in announcing the American Revolution as illegitimate. <clears throat> Now, um, this is a whole nother argument, right? That's a whole nother argument. So he's saying, well, look, the Anglo-American tradition is actually, uh, that's actually, you know, divine right monarchies. It's, uh, I mean, that's part of the Anglo-American tradition. Well, okay, did they, and I still have that, right? They still have the hereditary monarch in England today, but it's limited by a constitution, which had been established in 1688, saying you cannot leave, right? But we know... After that, we've had many different subjects of Britain leave Canada, Australia, right? They've left. So clearly, the tradition articulates that people can leave. That's the tradition. By what right does Gottfried think his ancestors were allowed to leave wherever they came from? The pleasure of the sovereign? If so, by what right does he speak of right? Again, this is kind of... look. Anton is, is confusing a lot of different things here. Um, this is not really what Gottfried is talking about, and he, he didn't mention that at all. He says, I assume also that Gottfried and I agree on the evils of the gulag and Nazi concentration camps, to say nothing of other foreign atrocities. But how can we object on the basis of Anglo-American tradition when none of the peoples afflicted have any connection to that tradition? That's a very strange argument. How can we object based on a tradition when those people are not part of the tradition? Well, because our tradition says that that's not the right thing to do. I mean, that's like saying, well, how can we reject to Muslims if you're a Christian uh, if those people aren't Christians? Well, isn't that kind of a leftist argument? <laughs> of course you can. I mean, if that's your position, you can say that those people don't, I mean, they're not Christians. Or how can you object to paganism if you're a Christian if those people aren't, aren't Christians? I can say I object to it. Now, on the other hand, you can say they can do what they like because I believe in freedom of religion. They can do what they want. I'm not going to stop them. That's a whole other thing. He says, I object to those atrocities because they're wrong simply by nature. Well, okay, but that's not your argument. It it's, doesn't even make sense. You can object to it from the Anglo-American tradition. 
even if they're not part of the tradition. Our, our legal, political legal tradition does not allow for gulags and concentration camps and genocide. Unless, of course, you're Abraham Lincoln and you want to slaughter Indians or you know, U.S. Grant or Sherman or some other Yankee, right? Then it, then it works just fine. Or you're Franklin Roosevelt and you want to put Japanese in internment camps. Then it's okay. Thus, my reservation about paleoconservatism is less than its historicists and certainly not that it's rational historicists in the manner of those conservatives who believe America to be immune from fundamental forces that have bedeviled all regimes since politics began. It is rather that I think paleoconservatism tries to place onto tradition more weight than tradition can bear, a weight that only nature can bear. No. 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 Right? The tradition bears it. I would be opposed to these things because their tradition does not allow them. A Christian tradition, of course it is based on morality, would not allow genocide. Right? It just wouldn't allow it. It's not necessarily because you believe in a natural right. It's because you believe uh, that it's wrong morally. It's, it's against the Ten Commandments, <laughs> right? So, I mean, again, it's not some natural rights enlightened theory. It's because you have an anchor in the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not kill. This is not contra many paleo rejoinders, a dismissal or denigration of tradition. I am all for tradition, so long as it's a good tradition. Well, how do you determine, determine that? And that tradition, if it's based on Anglo-American principles, would be a good tradition, and the only way to judge that is to be able to appeal to some standard outside and above tradition. No, no, no. I mean, you could... Uh, all right, look, you could say it's Christian, based on a religion, whatever it is. I mean, we don't want to go back to worshiping Odin and having human sacrifice. It's not a good tradition. So religion really factors into this in a lot of ways. All right, we don't want to, we don't want to have human sacrifice. It's barbaric. It's not civilized. No, I mean, the Vikings would have said it was. To come back to George III, what was to stop him from asserting that English rule over colonial subjects was an English tradition? Which, in a sense, it was, since from their earliest days, all English colonies and their existence, the charters from the king, most of which had royal governors answerable only to him. Self-governing Massachusetts Bay was a notable exception, but no one, not one which can carry the entire Anglo-American tradition of liberty. Now, wait a second here. Yeah, okay, so they had charters, but did they not have? This is important. This is where I don't think Anton really understands the British Constitution very well. Did they not have, in 1619, the first elected assembly in Virginia? Now, certainly you could say this met at the pleasure of the king. But as Jefferson said, this is, you know, legislative power is incapable of annihilation. And the British generally believed that by 1776. Look at the English Bill of Rights. It's what they were doing and... or. Go back to the English Civil War, where the king tried to close down Parliament, and Parliament said, forget it. Now, I'm not a big fan of Cromwell, but at least in this way, he was right to stand up to the king. That is part of the tradition. Going, or, or how about Runnymede and the barons against King John Lockland, right? I mean, this is going back to that. So the tradition is resistance to centralized power, usurping something, as they talked about in the deck. Usurping what? Abuses and usurpations. They're usurping the traditions and, nat and rights, not natural rights, but privileges of Englishmen. That's what they're doing. So he's, again, he's cherry-picking some things here. So 
that's that's my the most interesting part of this entire thing. Um, and where I found this essay to be just a little confusing, and of course, uh, he does bring up Lincoln later on. He does a whole lot of things. This essay is really long, and um, I don't have time to go through it. Uh, but regardless, this attack on you know this this turn saying tradition or this or that is just a little strange. And this is where I think the Straussians are very confused about the founding. I really believe they're confused. They don't understand federalism. They don't understand the decentralized nature of American government from the beginning, which is the declaration, if you want to say that. Uh, they don't understand where America fits within that Anglo-American political tradition. And the states were always allowed to absorb differences in these things among the people that lived in the states. It's Anton is looking at America as a regime, a top-down structure. It's not that. It's a federal republic. It's not a regime. This is where he falls apart very quickly. All right. So, all that said, hope you enjoyed this week at the Brian McClanahan Show. I could go on for this essay for probably two or three hours, but I don't want to do that. I've already talked about Anton a lot. But anyways, if you want to get me five times a week, make sure you grab that Abbeville Institute podcast, The Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute you can go to abbevilleinstitute.org and pick that up there. Or just look for it wherever you get your podcasts. It's also available there. I'd love to see you subscribe there and listen to that. It's all things Southern, and uh, it's a great podcast too. But that's only once a week, but you would get me five times a week then. So if you want that, head on over. Look for Abbeville Institute, the week in review at the Abbeville Institute, wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be there too. I'll see you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. 